All right, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. On Sunday, we um, gave an introduction to the the book, explaining to you that there's five different sections to the Gospel of John. The first section dealt with the deity of the Lord, started with um, verses 1 through 18, which is the first of five sections of the Gospel of John tonight. We're actually starting section two, the presentation of the Son of God. We did not go through chapter one, verse by verse on Sunday. We will tonight. We'll be lucky if we get through all of chapter one. Um, I will summarize because we spent most of our time on Sunday with verses one through five and 14 through 18. So in way of review, let's go back and see how um, John opens his gospel. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What we did when we read that on Sunday is pointed out that in Genesis 1-1, that's what John wants you to think of, in the beginning, immediately our minds go back to that verse. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and we made a point on Sunday that the word there in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning was, um, in the beginning God created, I pointed out that it was in the plural, Elohim, And it should actually read, in the beginning, gods. And then we went to verse 26, where it said, let us, plural, make God in our plural image. That is what John is starting off here in with verse one. If you go to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Sunday's message was grace and truth, and then a subtitle, Introduction to the Gospel of John. So here we are on Wednesday night, and I will go through it verse by verse. But verse 1 and 14 um, definitely are tied together. Then we quoted Colossians 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. And in both cases, the thing they emphasize is what we find in verses three through five. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So here, we're told in verse three, everything that exists, everything that is, was created Um, by the Lord. When we read the last, if you just flip over quickly, I know we did this on Sunday, but just go to the last two chapters of John. And um, in chapter 20, John is only gonna use his gospels to point out seven miracles. Um, But in verse 30, it says, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the whole point of section one on Sunday, verses one through 18 if you're taking notes, is the deity that John wants us to understand that everything that exists Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 were all created uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. John is saying here, I'm only gonna pick seven things that he did. Now flip the page to chapter 21, last two verses of John's gospel. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true, and there are also many, that's an understatement, (laughs) Many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. Uh, we're gonna be in Isaiah 40 tonight when we talk about John the Baptist, and it will point out just some of the things 
um, that the Lord has done that are not written in this book. All right, back to chapter one. We will go to, we read verse 14. Um, An introduction to John, and I'll talk about John as a person in just a moment here, but let's read verses 15 through 18, which was section one. Now John, he's talking about John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. Um, My only regret in doing the second service is somehow I left out Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And I did it in the first service, and I couldn't believe I left it out in the second service. And because I did that, and maybe you were in the first service and heard it, and maybe you were in the second service and didn't hear it, so turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Again, the title, and um, we read here in verse 17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I wanted to draw a contrast, the importance of understanding the difference between works and grace. So Romans 11, verse 6, Paul is presenting the argument You can't have it both ways. This has to be one or the other. Verse six says, if by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works are no longer works. So his argument and the law, we went back and talked about Moses giving the law. 3,000 people died. And what the law does, as we read on here, is it brings death. Because it shows us what we should be, but yet we can't live up to it. And that's works. Grace, on the other hand, the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. And then we went to Acts chapter two. And the Lord told his disciples, don't do anything, don't go anywhere until you've received power. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise has come. Well, Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit fell, Peter got up and preached his first message, and that day, 3,000 people were made alive. And um, the comment that I made is, what's the irony of the day that the law was given, 3,000 people were killed, but the day that grace and truth was revealed, 3,000 people were made alive for the first time since the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died. No, they didn't. They still walked around. Yeah, they died spiritually. And now for the first time, um, every person here tonight who's born again, the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That hadn't happened since the fall of Adam and Eve. So as we look at this, we can go back to John, John 1 here. Um, the last point that we made is no one, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Now, I'm going to probably say this every Bible study, and I want you to notice a pattern that's going to begin tonight, and without exception, every time the Lord is going to have personal contact and communication with somebody in the Gospel of John, He's going to tell that person something that only Jesus and that person knows, including who we're going to talk about next, and that's John the Baptist. We'll get to him, but he's not the first one. The first one that we're going to find out tonight is actually Nathaniel. Now, with that being said, we are, that was sort of an abbreviation of where we were on Sunday. Uh, If you weren't here, you can. Pick up the CD on that one. But as we begin verse six here, and um, verse 19 in particular, we're introduced to um, John the Baptist 
But the second section really begins in verse 19. But let me do just a little bit of an introduction and talk to you about uh, John the Baptist. So a change of subject in verse six says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he was not the light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gave light to every man who comes into the world. Uh, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The irony of this is that in verse 11, his own people that he called out through Abraham. He came unto his own and he did and his own did not receive him. Um, Isaiah 53 says he'll be despised, he will be rejected. And um, contrasting that now with verse 12 and 13, but as many as received them, him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, being born again. And we'll be there in a couple weeks in chapter three. All right, sidetrack. Let's just talk about this man that Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. And that's quite a statement to make. So as we look at John, um, first of all, He was foretold in two places in the Old Testament. Uh, He was foretold in Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to have you turn there right now. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. And again, I can't emphasize enough the importance of knowing the Old Testament along with the New Testament. Because here we have Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Verse chapter 40, verse three, is a prophecy concerning John. But I'm gonna read a little bit farther because of what we just read at the end of John's gospel where it says many other things Jesus did that if they were all written down, I don't suppose the world itself could contain all the books that would be need to written. John only wrote seven things down, seven miracles. All right, verse three. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the smooth place, uh, the rough place smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is concerning John the Baptist. Um, Very shortly we're going to read, he's going to point his finger and says, behold the Lamb of God. And that was John's one and only mission. That was his job to do. But I want to purposely read through verse 10 and 11 because there's another pattern that sticks out that I want you to get familiar with. And that is um, Isaiah will be teaching about a certain subject. In this case, it's John the Baptist, a prophecy about him. But he's going to switch gears. And let's read verses 6 through 9 here, and then I'll show you the gap. The voice said, cry out. And he said, well, what shall I cry? That all flesh is grass, and all of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon him. Surely people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now we have a contrast here. I have to go to Oshkosh tomorrow um, to do a funeral. Um, um, The funeral I did in Oshkosh about a month ago I'm doing now the husband. Uh, He passed away 
And I got a call from his son Robert earlier, I think it was on Monday. And he said, um, Dwight, dad passed away. I met him at his wife's funeral. He was on oxygen at the time. And um, well, he said, dad, what do you want for your funeral? He says, I want Dwight to do it and I want him to say exactly what he said at my wife's funeral. (laughs) Tell him not to change a word. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow. And uh, he just wants the gospel presented in a, in a clear and concise way. That was his wish, and he's gonna get it. Now, the reason I say that is the reality that we all need to come to grips with. You're nothing but a piece of grass and a flower. And flowers don't last that long, and they fade away. And in contrast to that, we find the contrast, but in verse eight, the word of God stands forever. Um, every one of us are wearing out. <laughs> and eventually, if the Lord doesn't come for a rapture, death is certain. And the hope that we have is um, Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You'll never die. You'll put on a new body, put on a new tent, one that was, doesn't grow old and fade away like this one here. But then in verse nine, he says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem, and you'll bring good t- uh, tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. All right, everything we're reading right here is a declaration by John the Baptist. He's a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And then we have uh, a brief couple of verses about our frailty, that we are all, all gonna die, but God's word is forever. Who's the word? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And... Um, Lift up your voice with strength. Lift up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That's what John's life mission was. Behold. (laughs) Behold your God. There is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Well, Isaiah was talking about this. But the reason I wanted to go a little bit farther is something that um, you need to understand when we study prophecy. This was all about Jesus' first coming. And from, uh, there's other places. We find it in um, Daniel 9. We find it in Isaiah 61. Um, we find it in other places. Between verse 9 and verse 10, there's a gap between Jesus' first coming and when he will reign during the thousand-year millennial reign. And it's a pattern that emerges that the Holy Spirit will just tie it all together. And now in verse 10, we're talking about the millennial reign. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand. No, he came lowly and humbly the first time. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. These are all millennial verses. What's your point, Dwight? That the Holy Spirit jumps, there's a gap here of 2,000 years between verses nine and 10. And we find it consistently as a pattern and the only way you discover that is by consistently teaching through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I have not asked for an amen yet tonight. I am at this time. (laughs) And that's where we, our our faith and our understanding uh, comes together. Turn to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. This is the other prophecy concerning John the Baptist, kinda. 
Notice I use the word kind of. Because it's going to be a reference to John the Baptist, but it's also going to be a reference to Elijah. And there are people who will debate and say that the Bible contradicts itself, and here's one of the places where they come up with this argument. This is how the Old Testament ends. It ends with a prophecy concerning Elijah and John the Baptist. So let's pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Malachi. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. All right, um, that is clearly a reference to the tribulation period. And so I believe after the rapture takes place, Moses and Elijah appear. Um, I know for sure that Elijah is one of the two witnesses that will witness for three and a half years. And then we read in verse six, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now I'm gonna show you just in a second here that this is a reference not only to Elijah, but also of John the Baptist. And how the same spirit that was on Elijah was the same spirit that's going to be on John the Baptist. So, um, as you turn the page from Malachi chapter four to Matthew chapter one, we have what we call the 400 silent years. Malachi was the last prophet to speak. And then God didn't speak for 400 years until John. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. Even though he was the greatest man who ever lived, he never did one miracle. Where Elijah, on the other hand, did many miracles. And that's, if you're taking notes, that's uh, John 10, verse 41, that says John did no miracles. John was six months older than Jesus, John the Baptist, they were cousins. Uh, He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the, the womb. Remember when Mary came to visit Elizabeth? As soon as Mary came in, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Mary was just pregnant. And as soon as Mary walks in the room, John the Baptist jumped up and down (laughs) in Elizabeth's stomach. And he was filled with the spirit from the womb. As he began his ministry, um, a voice crying from the wilderness John grew up when he was of age. He ate locusts, wild honey. He wore camel's hair, and he lived in the wilderness. Now this is important to get down because when John doubts in prison that Jesus is actually the Messiah, which when you think of that, is that unbelievable or what? I mean, that's his whole meaning for being, and yet as he's watching Jesus associate with people, let's say, of questionable character and uh, dining with publicans and sinners and tax collectors. Well, John wouldn't have any part of that. Uh, When we're in Israel, we'll visit Qumran. And uh, they'll show a video there. And where John was baptizing is, is very, very close to where Qumran actually is. And they... It's a foregone conclusion to the people that oversee Qumran. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, by the way. The, the scenes lived there, a very strict order of, um, of, of Judaism. But we believe that John actually was there uh, for a season. And so 400 years has have gone by And all of a sudden, here's John the Baptist preaching down by the Jordan River. And so let's go back to, we're going to do to the New Testament, John. And now we'll pick up 
This is actually the beginning now of section two in verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. We have to stop and address those two questions right there. The first one, why would they ask him if he was Elijah? Why? Because the last time God was speaking and the last couple verses of the Old Testament says he would send them Elijah. And when he would come, he would turn the hearts of the children towards the parents and the hearts of the parents towards the children when he came. We're expecting Elijah. Are you him? He says, nope, I am not Elijah. Now remember that I said that and keep your finger there. Well, let me just answer the other one. Are you the, the prophet? Now again, if you're taking um, notes here, the Lord says, no, I'm uh, not Elijah. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we're gonna look at John's, uh, Matthew's account of this. Verses two through 15 Now when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And I just have to stop and go, are you kidding me? John, wake up, snap out of it. You're John the Baptist. And he's in prison and he's doubting. And so he's sending these two guys to ask. And Jesus answers and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you have heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the death here, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he's quoting all this stuff that the Messiah would do when he would come. Now catch this, because there's two tonight that that I'm gonna point this out to. Um, He says something to John that would only be meaningful to John and Jesus and only Jesus knew this. And he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What's being implied here? That somehow, some way, John the Baptist was offended and the Lord called him out on it. I mean, this is a dart to the heart. And this was the, the thing that only God could reveal by looking into a person and saying, Okay, John, you want to know if I'm the one? Well, the Messiah will do this, 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 and this. And he knows all that. But then he tells him, what's the heart of the matter? He says, the heart of the matter, John, is this. You're offended. You're a guy who has under the law of a Nazarite. You didn't never cut your hair. Not only could he not drink wine, you couldn't even have raisins. And uh, his lifestyle was one of, of a strict um, denial of the flesh and on Sunday we're going to be talking about Jesus' first miracle. What does he do? He turns water into wine and not the cheap stuff, the good stuff and we'll talk a little bit about that more later. You think that would offend a Nazarite? Oh yeah. Especially if he's supposed to be the Messiah. And so the Lord goes right to the heart with him and what I want to point out is John's going to be the first one. You'll see it twice tonight. You'll see it here, and then you'll see it with Nathaniel. And it's one of the, again, the reoccurring themes that it doesn't come out and say somewhere in the Gospel of John, and oh, by the way, every time Jesus talks to somebody, he's gonna tell them something that only that person knows and Jesus knows. You only discover it when you, again, study the, the scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We'll see it twice tonight. And here was the first one. It says, verse seven, and they departed. Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, um, you think he was some guy who was spineless? Some wimp? Uh, Some reed that is just blowing in the wind? And what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in king's houses. 
But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh yeah. And I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, um, we were in Malachi, this is, we're Malachi 4, I should have read Malachi 3, 1, here's another Old Testament prophecy. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So now Jesus is quoting something that nobody has talked about for 400 years. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he's an Old Testament prophet. Now, this is where you come into the Bible study on a personal level. But he who is least in the kingdom of, of heaven is greater than he. Well, the question is why? Well, all the prophets, including Elijah, we talked about this a little bit with Saul and David, how the spirit would come upon them and then anoint them and then remove themselves from him. And then the spirit would come upon them again and then leave them again. And the difference between an Old Testament person who was saved, like even Saul, I said, is Saul one of the prophets that he's prophesying? The difference between us and why you're greater is that the spirit only rested upon them. Where 1 Corinthians 3 says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're sealed. It doesn't come upon and then leave. No, you're sealed with the spirit. And um, um, the Lord will never leave you. The Lord will never forsake you. And he is in you. Another good place for an amen. And that's the difference and that's why you're greater than the Old Testament prophets because the spirit continually abides in you because you're the temple of God. Now we can grieve the spirit. We can be convicted by the spirit and we cannot die to our flesh on a, on a daily basis. And, um, but that doesn't mean he will leave you. No, he will correct you. He will comfort you. Uh, but he'll never ever leave you. Boy, I'm looking for amens all over the place tonight. That's good news, by the way. And comforting. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, this is where it gets interesting. When we read these last two verses from Malachi, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about Elijah who's going to come before the tribulation? Or are we talking about John the Baptist? Now we have the answer here, and the answer is both. Verse 11, uh, verse 12. And from the Days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. In other words, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And if you are willing to receive it, it he is Elijah who is to come. Now we just let that scripture sink in. What did they say when they questioned John the Baptist? Are you Elijah? And what did he say? No, I'm not Elijah. And what does Jesus say here? If you guys can, if you can receive it, he, who is he? John the Baptist. He is Elijah, who future tense is to come. Well, wait a second. Elijah was in the Old Testament. Well, what do you mean? Now he's comparing and saying that John the Baptist actually is Elijah and he's still coming in the future. Two places. On the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he will appear with Moses. Um, For sake of time, I won't take you there. But if you're taking notes, um, Revelation chapter 11, he's one of the two olive trees prophesied and foretold in the book of Zechariah. And so when the Lord uses it in the future tense, he is coming. Here he's saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think only born again believers get this. Because the spirit, the Holy Spirit that was on Elijah is the same Holy Spirit that is on John the Baptist. So when you read those last two verses of Malachi, I'm gonna send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And at the same time, no, he's going to be turning the hearts of the fathers to, to the children. 
Okay, now this is where, um, go down to verse 19. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Can you see where John would be offended? He didn't do the things Jesus was doing. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, look, he's a gluttonous man, a wine bibbler, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. So this to me, when the Lord, oh no, by the way, you guys that are asking questions for John, um, ask him uh, if he's offended. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. And when we read about John the Baptist and his lifestyle, it was contrary to the Lord in his lifestyle. Instead of being obscure in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, um, living what we would call a very, very holy lifestyle, here we have the Lord drawing the contrast. John didn't do this, 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 or this. And the Son of Man came and did this, 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 and this, the things that would have offended John. And the Lord just calls him right out on it. And um, after that, they cut his head off. All right, let's keep going on here. Um, People ask if he was Elijah. Okay, we covered that. Um, And we've covered that. All right, let's go back to the Gospel of John. And we left off in verse 20. We, we went to the Old Testament. Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Well, in Matthew 11, Jesus says he is. Are you the prophet? Now, um, this verse here is a reference to an Old um, Testament um, prophecy. Just, let me look at my notes real quick here. I got it written down somewhere. Um, I think it was in Deuteronomy, and I don't see it, I'm not going to refer to it, but it's a prophecy concerning um, the Messiah. And um, John says, no, I'm not the Messiah, is basically what he's saying. Verse 22, then they said that, who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say about yourself? And he said, and now, now we're quoting Isaiah 43. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So again, what do we have? I mean, we can't get through one chapter of John with already having how many references to Bible prophecy from the Old Testament being fulfilled right on the spot. Verse 24, and those who were sent went from there to the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me. He's preferred before me. And I'm not even worthy, uh, to, and whose sandal straps I'm not even worth, worthy to, loo- to loose. He's basically saying, I'm not even worthy, worthy to tie Jesus' shoes. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Um, they've just opened this site up to tourists. Um, it's always been there but it was never a commercialized place. We know where Bethabara is, but now they're, they're actually building structures on it and it's actually a place that you can actually visit. Time to tell a story? <laughs> Quick story. Um, for years, if you wanted to be baptized in the Jordan River, um, the place that the tourist bus would stop. It's right at the southern tip where the Jordan River leaves the Sea of Galilee. And you go a quarter of a mile down that road, the bus would pull over to the side of the road, and people would get out, and um, they would go down this, um, oh, 
cliff maybe 20 feet and it wasn't steep and it wasn't dangerous but um, it, it bothered Chuck that people had to um, do this and Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, I can brag on Chuck, you wouldn't want me bragging on him but he's with the Lord so if he wants to get in my face later about it, he can do that. I know they gave $25,000 to help build a facility at this particular place. And so I went with a group of pastors. This would have been in the late 70s that this structure was built. And in 1981, it was dedicated. And I was with Chuck with some, uh, we were all pastors. It was a pastor's trip to get them exposed to Israel so they'll go back to their churches and say, if you want a trip of a lifetime, go to Israel. And so he wanted something more appropriate where people could change clothes, get dried off. And um, we were there. Minister of Tourism was there. Uh, they made a, a documentary on, uh, of it that I later saw on TV of um, the dignitaries of Israel dedicating this facility and it was the very first day that it was was open. And um, um, it, was, it was great. And we were able to um, have a baptism there. And it was the very first time that they had a baptism there. That was the day that it was opened. Now I'll tell you a story that'll probably get me in trouble with Chuck later too. <laughs> the last thing that and the reason we don't use this facility is that over the years it's become so commercialized. They took what was supposed to be something so important and significant for a person to say, I was actually baptized in the Jordan River. Well, they turned it into a tour shop. And you could actually buy holy water there for a certain amount of money. And as we're leaving, I happen to be walking next to Chuck, and sure enough, this guy comes over and he's trying to sell Pastor Chuck holy water. And he won't leave him alone. And Chuck is trying to give him the brush off and be polite with the guy. And he would finally had enough and he says, I don't want your holy water. We have holy water back in the States. And the guy looked at him and says, you can't have holy water back in the States. You can only get it from the Jordan River. This is where the holy water is. And he said, oh, no, we have it back in the States. He says, how do you have it back in the States? He says, well, it's easy. You just take some water and you put it on the stove and you boil the hell out of it. I turned red because I couldn't believe Chuck said hell. (laughs) The guy did not know what to do. He was flustered and he went away and Chuck, (laughs) that was just his attitude. But he was upset. Um, I suppose you could compare it to Jesus making a whip and cleaning out the temple. Why? They were using it to make money. And it bothered, it really, uh, really upset um, Chuck. But you can go, we don't go there today. We go because it is so commercialized. We have a much more beautiful place in Sockney. Boy, did I get sidetracked on that one, huh? All right, so let's go back to where Oh, Beth Barra, that's where I got sidetracked. These things were done at Beth Barra, and uh, that's where John the Baptist would have been baptizing. So we're talking the length of the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee all the way to where it would enter the Dead Sea. Where Beth Barra is is only about five miles to the northern tip of the Dead Sea. And that would have been the, the route that many of them would have traveled. All right, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I put myself in John's sandals and I try to think this through. Was there contact? They were cousins. Did they see each other during that 30-year span of time? When he saw Jesus coming, did he know it was his cousin? Um, the, the scriptures really don't tell us here. Except that um, he was informed by the Lord himself that when you see the Holy Spirit like a dove come upon him, that's your man, and that's how you will know. And so when he saw that happened, that's when he pointed a finger and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, now we're switching gears a little bit to the next day, and I confess that I learned something going through John this time that I haven't seen before. Every time I go through, I see something I've never seen before. Same with um, studying uh, today for this. Okay, again, the next day. So it's the day after John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist had his own disciples. And I'm gonna introduce you to two of them right now. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they were following John, but now they're following Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you guys want? What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, why don't you come on and see? And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what I'd never put this together before is that Andrew um, was a disciple of John the Baptist before Jesus called them in the Galilee. We're gonna read in verse 44 that um, uh, Philip is from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So here they are down by Bethbara, and Andrew and Simon Peter are both there. They're not up in the Galilee. They're not in Bethsaida. They're down here. And Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he first found his brother Simon. Now this is the first time we're really introduced to Simon in John's gospel um, before we find him and calls them when he's at Capernaum. So he found his brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him and said, oh, you're Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. And so we find this also in Matthew's gospel where he changes his name from shifting sand, which is what um, um, Simon was. Um, You shall be called Cephas or Peter, translation Cephas, which is translated um, um, by Literally, the word, uh, the name change here is to, uh, from sand to uh, petros, or a large stone, um, or to, to something other than shifting sand. All right, now we're shifting gears the following day again. We find, following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, And he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Now we discover that Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now again, when we go to Israel, we'll do this all in one day. We go to Capernaum. Um, They eventually make Capernaum their headquarters. But before Andrew and Peter moved to Capernaum, 
Their hometown, we're told here in verse 44, is Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is about five miles away from Capernaum and inland just a little bit. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, here's Nathanael's comment. And he said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this is interesting to me because it tells me two things. First of all, Nathaniel was gonna be reading the Bible that day. Matter of fact, I'm totally persuaded he was reading Genesis 28, which we're gonna go back to. And he also knew that when the Messiah would come, he would come from Bethlehem. So there's a little bit of sarcasm here, but there's also some Bible knowledge. Nothing can good, they were known as roughnecks or whatever, whatever they had a reputation if you came from, from, um, from Nazareth. So he says, could anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, why don't you come and see? And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in who there's no guile. Okay, his sarcasm is slipping away really quickly. And um, I'm setting you up for the second time that the Lord is gonna say something to this man that only Jesus and Nathaniel are gonna know about. And I'm working up to it. And Nathaniel said to him, well, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, well, before Philip called you, well, when you, you know, when you were underneath the fig tree, I saw you. And I knew what you were doing, too. Doesn't tell him that yet. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the, you're the king of kings. So there's something going on here that Nathaniel is picking up that only God could do this. And Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And then he quotes this to Nathaniel. And this is the last verse we'll go through tonight. I'm gonna to take you to Genesis 28. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now on my cross-reference here, it says Genesis 28, verse 12. I wanna go back to Genesis 28. I'm gonna read just a little bit of the context so you can see where we're gonna go with this. Our Lord said to this man, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, or Jacob, literally. Now he who follows up on this by referring to the incident in the life of the patriarch Jacob, when as a young man he ran away from home, in fact he had to leave home because his brother Esau was after him to murder him, his first night away from home was at Bethel, and there the Lord appeared to him. A ladder was let down from heaven, and on that ladder the angels were ascending and descending, and the meaning of Jacob was just trickster, conniver, whatever, was that God was, had not lost contact with him. He had thought that when he had left home, he had left God back there. He had a limited view of God, of course. At Bethel, he learned that God would be with him. Our Lord picks up here and says that the latter was himself. You'll now see, now he's talking to Nathaniel. I have no doubt in my mind that what really got Nathaniel's attention is he was reading Genesis chapter 28 of the angels ascending and descending at Bethel. And um, the angels ministered to him and the angels were subject to him. Here he was given charge over the angels. He could send them as messengers to heaven and they would return also. So Jesus says that Nathanael will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He is going to see that the Father from the top of that ladder will speak 
of this one saying, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. This is gonna happen on the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's Moses and here's Elijah and then God speaks from heaven, top of the ladder. And he says, don't, it's not about him. This is my beloved son. He's the one that you talk to now. So um, let's look at um, Genesis 28. And I'm just gonna read the, the dream. He's gone away from home. Uh, Mom says, you gotta get out of town. Um, go to Uncle Laban's house, the brother of Rebecca, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And um, we find in verse, uh, oh, let's just pick it up at verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones out of that place and put it at his head and lay down in a place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, the ladder was set up on the earth and it reached to the top to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I'm with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and I'm gonna bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have said and spoken to you. Then Jacob uh, is going to have his name changed to Israel. Jacob means conniver, deceiver, deceitful. Israel means prince of God. There's going to be a change that's going to happen at this moment. Now, back to the story as we finish this up tonight. Oh yeah, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree. But what he doesn't tell him, but he does in the very last verse of John chapter one, is doesn't tell him he was reading Genesis 28. That's what I believe really blew Nathaniel's mind. Only the Lord would, would know that. Verse 16, then Jake, Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I, I'm sure that's what Nathaniel is saying. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob arose early in the morning, took a stone that he had put at his head and set it as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city has been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me, in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Let's go back and read the last verse. And a personal application of our study tonight. All right. John chapter one, we made it through all 51 verses. But just as the Lord said to John the Baptist, oh, by the way, John, and blessed is he who's not offended in me. He's saying the same thing to Nathaniel, and he's telling Nathaniel, I knew exactly what you were doing, Nathaniel. You were sitting underneath that fig tree. And then the kicker, here is I believe he's actually telling him the meaning of what he was reading that this is a letter of God and God was speaking from heaven to him on earth and this is exactly what God is doing here to Nathaniel. Let's read the last verse again and he closes chapter one with this. Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
if I'm in uh, Nathaniel's shoes, I would use the expression, that blew my mind. <laughs> and it should. And we're going to see this pattern um, as we make our way through it. We'll see it with Nicodemus. We'll see it with uh, the woman at the well. We'll see it with the woman caught in the act of adultery. And without exception, every time there's going to be something in there that only that person and the Lord knows. In closing, let's make it practical. Applying God's word to our lives practically using John as our model. Number one, he realized he was just a voice. You and I are just a voice. He talked about Jesus Christ. He pointed people to Jesus Christ. He testified that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We all need to be like John, pointing people to Jesus. Good place for an amen. Shortly after this, John was thrown into prison. His job was finished. He could go home. His, his job, a voice, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, regarding Andrew and Peter, Andrew, like John the Baptist, was always pointing people to Jesus. Andrew led Peter to Jesus. Uh, verse 42, uh, Thou art Jonah, meaning shifting sand, unstable like the sea, but you shall be a stone named changed from sand to uh, a stone or a rock. Concerning Philip and Nathaniel, Jesus found Philip, he said, follow me. Verse 45, he says, we have found him. And in my notes here, I have no, Jesus found you, Philip, you didn't find him. Um, It says in Romans uh, that, There's none that seek after God, no, not one. He was looking for them. He was calling them out. Um, In verse 47, um, or 49, and I'll close with this. Uh, Nathaniel was very excited and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Now, what what, uh, convinced uh, Nathaniel of this is he also Uh, is going to become an instrument uh, to be used by the Lord. And in closing, again, one of the main thoughts here is Jesus exposes the inner thoughts of what this man was thinking. We're right at our time, five after eight. I'm right on time. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we get into this first chapter of John, um, we just stand, Lord, in awe of truly there isn't anything that you don't know about us. There's nothing we can hide from you that you don't see. And uh, we thank you for this book. I pray for it ahead of time as we make our way through it. I pray for Sunday morning, Lord, as we look at the very first of the seven miracles that he will perform. So, Lord, bless our night. Go before us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Let's go back and read the last verse. And a personal application of our study tonight. All right. John chapter 1. We made it through all 51 verses. But just as the Lord said to John the Baptist, Oh, by the way, John, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. He's saying the same thing to Nathaniel, and he's telling Nathaniel, I knew exactly what you were doing, Nathaniel. You were sitting underneath that fig tree. And then the kicker here is I believe he's actually telling him the meaning of what he was reading, that this is a letter of God. And God was speaking from heaven to him on earth And this is exactly what God is doing here to Nathaniel. Let's read the last verse again. And he closes chapter one with this. Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. If I'm in uh, Nathaniel's shoes, I would use the expression, that blew my mind. (laughs) And it should. And we're gonna see this pattern Um, as we make our way through it. We'll see it with Nicodemus. We'll see it with uh, the woman at the well. We'll see it with the woman caught in the act of adultery. And without exception, every time there's gonna be something in there that only that person and the Lord knows.
In closing, let's make it practical. Applying God's word to our lives practically using John as our model. Number one, he realized he was just a voice. You and I are just a voice. He talked about Jesus Christ. He pointed people to Jesus Christ. He testified that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We all need to be like John, pointing people to Jesus. Good place for an amen. Shortly after this, John was thrown into prison. His job was finished. He could go home. His, his job, a voice, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, regarding Andrew and Peter, Andrew, like John the Baptist, was always pointing people to Jesus. Andrew led Peter to Jesus. Uh, verse 42, uh, thou art Jonah, meaning shifting sand, unstable like the sea, but you shall be a stone named changed from sand to uh, a stone or a rock. Concerning Philip and Nathaniel, Jesus found Philip, he said, follow me. Verse 45, he says, we have found him. And in my notes here, I have no, Jesus found you, Philip. You didn't find him. Um, it says in Romans uh, that there's none that seek after God, no, not one. He was looking for them. He was calling them out. Um, in verse 47, um, or 49, and I'll close with this. Uh, Nathaniel was very excited and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Now, what, what uh, convinced uh, Nathaniel of this is he also uh, is going to become an instrument uh, to be used by the Lord. And in closing, again, one of the main thoughts here is Jesus exposes the inner thoughts of what this man was thinking. We're right at our time, five after eight. I'm right on time. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we get into this first chapter of John, um, we just stand, Lord, in awe of truly there isn't anything that you don't know about us. There's nothing we can hide from you that you don't see. And uh, we thank you for this book. I pray for it ahead of time as we make our way through it. I pray for Sunday morning, Lord, as we look at the very first of the seven miracles that he will perform. So Lord, bless our night, go before us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.